Welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. I'm Gary Williams. The totality of what has been achieved in the career of the person who's going to join me in a moment is wildly impressive. When he left the country he was born and raised in to come to the United States, he won an NCAA individual title, turned professional, started to have some success. But even before he became a pro, he was on two victorious Walker Cup teams, went 7-1 and one on those teams. Then he was on four Ryder Cup teams. Those teams never lost. He won a Varden Trophy, was the PGA Tour Player of the Year, ascended to world number one. Now he's the European Ryder Cup captain. I'm speaking, of course, about Luke Donald. And I wonder, could somebody with his skill set do all that he did in the game now as opposed to when he did it 10 years ago? That question and many more coming up with Luke Donald. With that, we welcome in Luke Donald. Luke, my friend, how are you? I'm great, Gary. Thanks for having me on. Listen, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's interesting how lives can can change and get busy in different ways, and I know yours obviously is. Is there something today that you have to do related to the Ryder Cup? Uh, yes, I have a call. I have a call later on, especially straight after this, to be honest, uh, talking about some personnel who are going to be at the Hero Cup in a few weeks. So, yeah, there's always something. I, I, I can day. imagine. I, I honestly, you know, this conversation came up. I don't know. It, it comes up periodically with players who have some level of form and they say, well, you know, he could be a playing captain. And I said, no, no, he can't. I mean, it's just the, the enormity of the job is such, plus the dynamics of, of, of any captain having to recuse himself from a session and being out on the golf course. And I, do you think that that's achievable going forward with, with this, the size of the position now on either side? I, I mean, I, I believe the last time it happened was Arnold Palmer back in the 60s. Correct. Right? So I think the Ryder Cup has even shifted a lot since then. You know, it's grown. It's become a lot bigger. Um, especially for a, for a home captain, I was I was really shocked at all the decisions that kind of end up with me, you know, especially that home captain, you know, how the course is set up, you know, how um, you want to, the, the kind of messaging you want in your team room. Um, this new event we have, the Hero Cup, uh, there's, there's just, it seems like every day there's, there's, there's things to do. And uh, it, it's quite fulfilling, to be honest. It's kind of energized me. It's, it's fun. Uh, but it is a lot of work. And, uh, but I am enjoying it. You know, I, I, I want to talk to you about a, a fair amount about the Ryder Cup, your own experience as a player. But I do want to go back because your journey in this game, everybody's journey is different. And I find everyone to be interesting once I, I hear the story. Was golf the first thing you were good at? Uh, I think so. I, I started when I was seven years old, so I started pretty young, um, and I fell in love with it very quickly. It was it came pretty naturally to me. I, I really took very few lessons uh, as a junior. Um, I sort of had a natural young swing that I just that worked well, um, and not too many people kind of interfered with it. So um, I, I played some other sports growing up. I played cricket, rugby, but. By the time I got to about 14, I kept getting some injuries and it was it was taking me away from my golf, which was my true passion. So 
you know, golf has always been kind of at the forefront. The, the schooling you had before you came to the States, I, I want to ask you about the high grammar school. Um, did you take the 11 plus exam for entry into yeah. that school? Well, I, I'm, I'm so old that it was the 12 plus back then. It so, was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was it they really? changed it. They brought, they brought it a year ahead, of, I, I think, since, since I took it. But I took the 12 plus, yeah. I, uh, I started off at a very uh, artsy school, uh, a Rudolf Steiner school, until I was uh, 10 years old. And then we moved and I went to a, you know, more of a, a traditional school. And I had two years to really prepare for the 12 plus. And, and it, the, the artsy school wasn't really pushing you that that hard academically. So I had to work very hard at this other school to try and pass the 12 plus. And I managed to do it and got into the uh, yeah the Royal Grammar School in High Wycombe, which was a great school. Um, very sporty, very academic. Um, you know, it was a, a mile away from where I lived. I used to walk to school. And uh, it was it was fun. Uh, I had a good time. The uh, the school dates to 1551. Uh, so they, they have a little history on their side. I think of schools in the States, these great prep schools. And I went to, a, you know, I lived in a, a small leafy town outside of New York City. Uh, and I think of schools that were started in, you know, like 1886, 1905, 1551. Do you remember a tradition at, at the high grammar school that was, particularly, you know, noteworthy to you as you entered? I mean, I mean was there anything that stood out about the, the history or traditions of the school? Well, it feels like about 1500 <laughs> since I was last there. So you, you really put me on the spot here, Gary. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, we, we had, uh, we, we had what's called prefects. I think if you were doing well in sports or doing well in the school, you were, you became prefect. And that was like, you sort of had some um, hierarchy almost within the school and you, you were looked up for the guys that are prefects. You knew they were doing well in school. You knew they were uh, either good at academics or good at sports. And I remember that. Um, did you wear then, a coat so and tie every day? Did you wear a coat and tie to school? We did. We, we did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, and the prefects had a different colored tie from what I, from what I remember. So you could tell who they were. You know, you were you were you were coming up in the game at a at a time where, you know, the idea of coming to the States was not it was not only not like the easy path, it wasn't necessarily the natural path for kids from Europe. And it was kind of a mixed bag. And I look at your contemporaries, Paul Casey made the choice, uh, but but Justin Rose did not, Ian Poulter did not. Um where did the curiosity about about getting schooled in the United States start? Do you remember? Well, I got to about 16 years old and I was starting to play for the full England side at that point. So I was probably one of the best 20 amateurs in the country. Um, and I, that's when I sort of thought, you know, maybe I've got a chance to, to pursue this professionally. And, uh, you know, I love it. Um, how great would it be to, you know, turn professional and, make a living out of something that I really enjoyed. So that's when I sort of started thinking about what my next move was. But that from a from the other side was my parents who uh, really believed in me having a balanced life, not just be one centered on one thing. And so education for them was important. And for me to be able to, I wasn't good enough at 16 to go pro, you know, like a Justin Rose or Sergio or someone like that. I just felt like I was good, but nowhere near good enough. So. I wanted to continue my 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 sport, 
but then continue my education. And, uh, you know, yeah, Paul Casey, I think, had gone the year before, but not many people from the UK had started going into the US college system. So, you know, I started the process of trying to figure out where I could go. I think that was, uh, uh, it was a very much unknown to me. Um, I'd never heard of a lot of the golf, the colleges, especially the good golf ones, you know, Georgia Tech, Clemson, Oklahoma State. I, I didn't even know where they were on a map in America. I hadn't been to the U.S. until I went for my official visit to Northwestern in, in April of 1997. So um, it was all very strange to me, but I knew I, I kind of just got the feeling that that was a great opportunity uh, to continue my education and, and get better at golf. And um, you know, I, I ended up at Northwestern. It was a, a kind of a random thing, but it worked out great. I, you know, I met, I met Pat, Pat Goss, uh, who was the coach at that time. He became my coach for the next 20 years. So, um, yeah, I just I lucked out. I think uh, it was a great experience. I had four amazing years. Um, I got a lot better at golf. I had an education. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Not, not everyone has enjoyed it, but uh, I, I lucked out where I, where I landed and, and the experience that I had. Yeah, it's, you know, when I looked at it, you know, your ascendancy after college, and of course you were great in college, you won the NCAA individual title in 99 at Hazeltine. What do you remember most about that week? Was there anybody in particular, like when you measured yourself then, who did you measure yourself from the American collegiate system? Who was the guy? Well, uh, Charles Howe and I were going head to head that week. Um, you know, we, he was a, a great college player, Oklahoma State, hit the ball a lot further than me back then. Um, you know, very different games, but, um, you know, that week it was him and another guy called Ruji Amada, who played a few years on tour. Yeah. He was playing for Georgia, but Georgia was uh, leading the team event. Uh, I think Oklahoma State may be up there as well, second. But Northwestern, we finished third that year as the team. But uh, coming down the stretch, it was... It was Ruji Amada and Charles Howe I was going up against. And uh, I just, I think I bore them with consistency. I just kept hitting a lot of greens. You know, Hazel teams are a long course, oh. easy. I think three or four under I might have shot uh, as an individual. It wasn't easy at all. It was set up pretty hard, some rough, um, you know, and I just kept hitting fairways, hitting greens, making a few putts and just kind of, yeah, wore them down. It's funny. I, I've got a quote right here from Charles Howe III. We call him Plod. He just <laughs> plods along. Yeah, sometimes, uh, you know, I'm a kind of type of golfer you'll play around with and uh, it won't seem that spectacular, but then you like add up the scores and you'd be like, Luke, what do you shoot? And I said, uh, 67. They're like, nah, no, you didn't. You shot 72 or three, surely. And then they go through the round. They're like, did you just, you didn't really make a mistake. It wasn't anything too flashy, but. I didn't make many mistakes, so I don't, you know, I always pride myself on on consistency. What um what what about the Northwestern experience? Because it seemed to me like you were in a fraternity. That's one thing you and I have in common, and maybe the only thing. Uh, I too in Hoke. Uh, I too Sigma Chi oh, Vanderbilt. That's right. Um, your your wife said he was just a frat boy I met in a bar. Um, is that accurate? Is were you just a frat <laughs> well, boy she met in a bar? We we did meet in a bar. I think she she knew me from the the daily newspaper, the Daily Northwestern, because I was on the on the back page of the sports quite a lot. Because 
you know, I was the, the best golfer uh, in Northwest and probably the best golfer in college for two or three of the, of the years I was there. So, you know, I was on those pages a lot and she'd probably see me now and again. She's like, who's this guy? I don't really see him out that much. Um, but uh, yeah, my last quarter of Northwestern, I had one credit to, to graduate and I took, um, it was sculpture, I think. You know, I was an art major. Yeah. So Tuesdays and Thursdays, I had it sculpture from nine to 11, nine to 12. And the rest of the time, I was just playing golf and going out and partying and hanging out with, <laughs> with the fraternity guys and going to bars and just being a college kid and enjoying myself. So, yeah, we met at uh, yeah Shady College Bar um, my senior year. And uh, yeah, we, we hit it off pretty quick. The um, the transition from college to professional when you and Pat and and look, the, the advancement of analytics is at a level now that, that it's interesting. And I think sometimes it's a little overwhelming, particularly for people who are like, I don't you know, kind of explain it to me. I think it's too much for the common fan. There's a, a lot of information. Did you think you were equipped at that time with all the things that you needed to make the transition? I thought I had a really good chance just, just based on having won 13 times in college, won yep. an NCAA. You know, I was I was arguably the best player, if not the second best player, for two or three of the, the years I was at college, first team All-American three times. So I had the credentials to make it. But, I mean, credentials sometimes go out the window. You just never know when you turn professional. It's a different ball game. You're, you're playing for your living now. You're traveling a lot more. You're going to uh, courses that you've never played before. Your schedule is really up in the air as, as a you know as a rookie on tour. You don't really know which tournaments you're going to get in. You're trying to make the most of it. You're trying to push yourself. You've got a lot of distractions from everyone on the range trying to push equipment on you. You know, it's it's there's a lot going on in those first couple of years. And um, I certainly played okay that first year, but. I, I learned pretty quickly that my game needed to improve if I was going to be, you know, a consistent player on the PGA Tour. I was good, but certainly, you know, I, I thought I was one of the best short game players in college and I got to the PGA Tour and I was pretty average. So, you know, um, there, there was a, some, some rude awakenings, for sure, uh, along the way. You know, Luke, the, the time that you, you transition to professional golf, I, I find the middle of the 2000s, to be interesting for somebody who's young and really good um, and as, as hard as it may be or, or as, as much as you may tell yourself, you know, I'm not going to concern myself with others, particularly one person. The vortex that Tiger created between himself and everybody else who played who was really, really good, um, I would think could be suffocating at times. Did you ever succumb to that? Seeing a shot he struck, being paired with him, that it seemed daunting i think there's always there's always people in sports that you you play around with or you see them and you're like you compare yourself immediately like i don't have that i don't have that shot can i compete and tiger was certainly one of those it seemed like every time i got to play with him there was shots you know even the way the, the ball sounded off the club it was just different um you know and he just never seemed to put a foot wrong. You know, it just seemed to always make the right decision, play the right shot, make the putt when he needed to, you know, and that's why he was, you know, he's the best golfer I've, I've ever played with uh, in my lifetime and probably the greatest of all time. So, um, but at the same time, you know, I think 
it gives you an opportunity to see where you need to improve. And, and um, at times it can be demoralizing, but at times it can be um, kind of vigorating to know that, that, that you can get to a, to a higher level and, and something to chase. You know, you have a you have a relationship with Michael Jordan that that's real. It's personal. And you were in you were in Chicago at the end of one of the great professional careers. And he came back and he played for the Wizards, you know, in 2001, 2002. Um, but I, I grew up at a University of North Carolina basketball fan. And there was a kid from my hometown who wanted to go to Carolina. He wound up going to Virginia. And the reason he didn't go is because. He was the same class as Michael. And I actually wrote a letter to Dean Smith. I was 15, and I didn't understand why he wasn't an offer. So I, 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 am, I take a particular interest in Michael from the moment he gets to North Carolina because I'm like, I need to know if he's better than this guy, Tim Mullen. He was, um, <laughs> just, just a little bit. Um, and the reason I bring that up is I, I think genius is, is very interesting. And Michael's a genius, and, and Tiger's a yeah. genius. What what do they have in common? <laughs> well, it's funny when you say that genius. It, it reminds me of a story of I was talking to Jack Nicholas once. Obviously, I live down here in Florida at the Bears Club, where where um, you know his his home course and, and uh, his his baby, and uh, got to spend a few times chatting with 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 Jack over the years. And you know, I'd be like, "Well, what was the secret to to your game?" And he'd go, "Well." Well, I was actually, I was asking him how much he practiced his short game because I felt like I practiced mine a lot and it was really a big key to my success. But I said, how much did you practice your short game? He goes, really, I didn't practice it hardly any at all because, you know, I knew I was good enough to chip it to 10 feet. And then from 10 feet and in, I, I would hold most of those putts. So I, I just didn't need to work on it. You know, and I'm like thinking like, well, if I don't practice, like I'm just never going to have the confidence to hold those 10 footers or hit, hit it to 10 feet, you know? So I think these geniuses, they just, there's a different mindset. There's just that overall confidence in themselves. Um, they never let those kind of weak, uh, the fear kind of creep in, creep in and um, they just see things differently. And, uh, you know, I think Tiger, MJ, those, those guys, yeah, those are the, in the genius categories. Yeah, I, I, I think the two of them, I think, again, I think Michael has a particular affability. Like, he likes to talk. He, he is, he's, like, he likes to engage people. Um, Tiger, not so much. But the thing about both of them that I think is that when you combine the most talented with the most determined, that they're almost predatorial in that respect it's the mo it's 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 such a lethal combination that it's like a hundred year flood. We'll wait lifetimes to see that again. It doesn't mean that there's not greatness here, there, and everywhere, and it'll materialize and happen. But I think when you see it, I always tell people watch it as much as you can. I remember David Halberstam, the great writer, when he, he had friends from all over the world, and and they would come to the United States and they would say, well, "What should we do when he, when we come to the states?" And he said go to Chicago Stadium. There's nothing you will see mm. in this country that will, that will rise to the level of watching the guy who wears 23 do what he does on a nightly basis. I, I, I have to think that you have an appreciation for sport, whatever it may be, cricket, soccer, rugby. When you see it, you just want to consume it, right? 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think these geniuses, they, they obviously put in the hard work. You know, we, we, we know how, how much work Tiger has put in since he was a two-year-old, you know, with his dad by his side and, and going on through his career. But it's, it's everyone can put in the work. It's having that mindset, that killer instinct, that, that something of, um, you know, really knowing that, um, that you're better than everyone else. And knowing that you love those competitive moments and you you live for them, and you know, and, that, and that's I think what separates the geniuses from from the very good players. Uh, it, it's that mindset, that killer instinct. Um, I want to ask you as we go through your your career that the first Ryder Cup experience is 04. And it's a fascinating week for a lot of reasons, the whole Tiger Phil thing. But but on the European side, you you were one of five rookies on that side. And so and I was looking and I'm like, God, it seemed like there were a bunch of old guys, but not really. Monty was 41 and, and Darren Clark had a little bit of age, but there were some guys in their early 30s. And then there were a bunch of you guys in your mid to you know late 20s. What do you remember most yeah. about that week? Um, well, I remember, first of all, before the Ryder Cup, just the, the overall gratitude for Bernard Langer for picking me. I think we only had two picks that year. Monty was one. He was obviously a legend in the Ryder Cup. And to pick me, you know, my, my third year on tour, I think. And I, I really only won a couple of events. I won a, a 54-hole range short event in 2002. I'd won the Scandinavian Masters in Europe a few months before. Um, you know, to have the faith um, in me, you know, I, I can't even think back how much that probably helped my career going forward. You know, those kind of those those moments uh, with someone like like a Bernard Langer putting faith in you, it just gives you an extra pep in your step. Uh, and I went after I the very next week after selection for that Ryder Cup was made, I won again in Switzerland. So, you know, I think it just it, it really helped propel my my career. And, and I've got a lot to thank about Bernard for, for picking me and, and having that faith in me. But, you know, I remember it just as a, a really fun, fun week, um, a fun group of guys. I remember my horrible first tee shot hitting it 50 yards right. Uh, and thinking, oh my word, what have I got myself in here? Um, this is a lot of pressure. This is, you know, this is a lot uh, to take. But I was playing with Paul McGinley that day in the four balls. He put put his arm around me walking down the first tee after that tee shot. He goes, don't worry, I'm down the middle. I've got you on this hole. You're going to be great after this. And uh, I was after after disastrous. I think I made a six on the first, you know, just bumbling around the right-hand side of the hole, Oakland Hills. Um, I got kind of back into the groove, um, hit a couple good shots and, and got my confidence back. But uh, yeah, um, just an amazing week. Um, glad to be a part of it. We we won pretty easily. Yeah, um, I think I won one, two and a half points out of out of four. So, you know, pretty solid as a rookie. Uh, I remember hitting even that that first that first uh, four ball morning. I had a two iron into the, the 18th hole. Oakland Hills up the hill, you know, the green's got that massive ridge in the center. And I just pured this shot uh, at the hole and it rolled back. It ended up making a two putt par. And I think uh, it was Chris Riley had to hold about a 10 footer for the half. 
but he he made it. Uh, we got a half point in the morning, and I was kind of off and running. I played uh, two times with Sergio, and we won both our matches. Uh, I lost my singles, but uh, at that point, it, it didn't really matter. There was there was no pressure. We won we won easily. Um, I think you could do a whole show, like a whole like one hour show on on the memories of players hitting their first tee shot in a Ryder Cup. <laughs> And, and how, like, how egregious some of the foul balls that have been struck by guys. I, I, Lanny Watkins told me a story in 91. He was paired. He was going to play with Hale Irwin in the first match. And I was there, and I was, I was just out of college. And, you, you, I mean, 91, you, 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 you know enough history to know how, you know, there was some real tension in the air that week. And Hale Irwin, like, knew the whole week he was going to hit the first tee shot. And right before they went out there, he's like, I can't do it. You're going to have to do it. This is Hale Irwin. Who is who yeah. is as nasty a guy when it comes to being competitive? And he's like, I, I, I you're gonna have to do it. I can't do it. I what is the worst the tee shot you've ever seen? The mental part? It's the more the mental part because everyone keeps telling you, first tee shot, first yeah, tee yeah. shot. Be prepared. It's gonna you feel nervous. You, you know, I think if people didn't even talk to you about it, you'd be okay. Because I felt pretty good going up to the tee, and, <laughs> but as soon as that ball went in, in the ground, I mean, everything went to jelly. You know, as a golfer, you usually have a thought that you want, you have in your swing at that time, you know, what's working. And I just went blank and I just remember like, it was like I was a 15 handicapper that had no idea how to hit a golf ball. And it just, I forgot to like release the club and the, the ball went 45 yards right. I mean, it was just an awful shot. But I've seen, you know, in 2006 at the K Club, I wasn't playing the first morning, but, you know, I think it's important for, for the guys who haven't played many Ryder Cups to go to that first tee, even if they're not playing and just experience it. And I remember going, going there and watching Tiger and, and he snap hooked to three woods right into the water at the K club. And I'm like, you know, it, it, the, 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 the nerves, the tension gets to everyone, even the greatest in the world. Uh, Pat Goss, um, you mentioned Pat Goss, your, your coach and, you know, your college coach and longtime uh, personal coach said that you're the most observant person he's ever seen, that you notice everything about the European team room. Oh, four, six, 10, 12. What, what was, what was the consistent th thread through all those teams that made them what they were? You, you never lost on the four sides you were on. What, what was it? No, no I, mean, I mean, it's hard to put your finger on one thing. Um, we've, We've had a, a pretty good run in the Ryder Cup since the mid '80s. Um, you know, I think we put into uh, some good good things in in place. Um, you know, and, and winning breeds more confidence. And, and even though we we kind of we do love that like underdog mentality for sure, because you know on paper we're always always uh, the weaker side. But I don't know. It's just like um, there's always a good team spirit. Um, I think the guys come together really well, um, it, and that's that's a difficult thing. That's a difficult thing for for a captain to do. I think that's his main responsibility is to tr bring these twelve guys that are trying to beat each other, uh, you know, for a hundred and three weeks of the year, and then suddenly, that one year out of two years, they've got to come together and play as a team. And um, you know, I think we've always done a pretty good job of that, um, putting those egos to 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 the side and and just playing for, for each other. You know, you, you mentioned about the underdog thing, and I, I've, I have my own theory on why you guys have been great. First of all, you have, you have to have great players. 
and you yep. have. Um, but you also have um, th this underdog thing to me is rooted in the fact that, look, wherever you may go after, after you leave Europe, whether it's playing some in Europe and then eventually whether it's the PGA Tour, you never forget where you came from. And I don't think any of you guys have. And you also understand the European tour, the value of it. I, I think the American team has a relationship with the PGA of America, but there, I think there's always been, you know, like a gulf, like in, in, in it's, you guys look at this and go, this is the value of this to us collectively. And the other part that I think is huge, you'll play with anybody in any session. It doesn't matter the format. And it was embodied to me in, in Paris on Friday morning. Rory walked out there with Torbjorn Olison, And I went, there it is. It doesn't matter. It's not like, well, they got to get along. And it, you guys just curb everything. And you go, doesn't matter, whoever it is. Is there some merit to that? Um, I think so. I think I can't speak for the U.S., but we, right. we've always really put the, the Ryder Cup at the top of what's important to us um we we find it an amazing event we respect the history of it uh we understand that um it can it can create uh individual careers by by playing well too but um you know we understand the the importance of it the history and and the fact that um it has a huge wide audience and i think because of that, um, you know, we, 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 uh, we know, understand that playing for something more than just yourself is, is, is pretty important. And it brings out the best in, in our guys, in our, in our golf. Um, our, our level of play seems to go up. And, um, yeah, we've, we've had a lot of success in the Ryder Cups. Yeah, I just I think the the investment in each other, Seve and Faldo literally weeping each other's, you know, you know, it was Seve holding Faldo's cheeks at Oak Hill in 95. There is an investment that you guys make in each other. And I'm and it's look, I think to the American side there there's and I think that they've made a transition. And I'm, I'm going to ask you about that as far as when you look at the makeup of the team. I, I just think that you guys give to each other in a way that is inspiring. And, and by virtue of that, um, you dig in with each other. And I was on the tee when you hit the shot at Medina, uh, when it was 10, four, by the way, it doesn't get to 10, six, unless it gets to 10, five. And I've said this right. since that moment, I think it's one of the most underrated shots ever struck in the history of the Ryder cup because of what had just happened right before you hit your shot. And that was tiger's shot. Uh, he's playing with Stricker, you're playing with Sergio. And look, you're at a place in the game where there were a few better than you. Take me through that particular moment, where you were on that tee at a place where he had a hell of a record. Yeah, um, probably my most you know, individual iconic moment in Ryder Cups for sure is that 7-iron down the hill at 17. Um, I'd, I'd played pretty poorly the first day and a half, Friday, Saturday morning at had some bad losses, uh, wasn't really playing well, wasn't really feeling well, I was a little under the weather. But um, Sergio and I played, yeah, Tiger and Stricker that afternoon in the four balls and uh, started to feel a little bit more energized. And uh, we were four up through nine um, and, and everything was going well. And then, you know, the great one, Tiger, um, stepped up and started making a bunch of birdies. 
and just kept putting the pressure on, putting the pressure on. He birdied 16, uh, you know, one of the toughest holes at Medina to get down to, to one. Uh, only We were only just one up with two to play. And then suddenly, you know, all those those things creep into your mind. We've got, we're suddenly one up now, with two holes to play. And Tiger steps up, uh, just a horrible pin position on that front because, you know, when you're playing from elevation, the ball's up in the air so long, you don't know how long it's going to stay there, you know, and creating the right distance is, is tough. Um, and he stuffs it to about four feet, um, you know, and the crowd are just going wild. And then suddenly you think, uh, well, we could lose this and we could lose 18. And then uh, there's there's the Ryder Cup. It's gone. I mean, 10-4, it's going to be 11-4. Um, I think Poulter and, and Rory were even behind at that point, behind us. So 12-4, I mean, <laughs> it's game over. I don't matter who you are, you ain't coming back from that. So, um, you know, and I just stepped up there and uh, just felt like I had the perfect club. Again, in, in those moments, you're, everything kind of becomes very fuzzy. You're not really thinking of too sharply. You're just going on instincts and adrenaline. Um, and I just hit this perfect shot and it went to about two and a half feet. And, uh, just remember, you know, getting the grip between my teeth and just thinking we, we got to win this point because we've got no chance otherwise. I, I think uh, again, you, where you had gone to school, Tiger in his history there, Stricker went to the university of Illinois, Sergio, you mentioned 16, the moment he had 99 in Medina on that previous hole it's one of the great moments in PGA Championship history. Like the confluence of these four guys with their particular history to the region, the specific area, that part of the property, I, I think it was, I, again, I get the Poulter thing. I get it. But without 10-5, there isn't 10-6. And like I'll, I'll go to my grave saying that that shot is one of the ballsiest shots I've ever seen in my life. Um yeah, we needed both points for sure. Um, one, one wasn't good enough, so we we had to get both. But uh, glad glad uh, Pulse was doing his thing behind too. Yeah, he absolutely was. So you know, as as you embark on this job that you've got now, um, first of all, let me let me take you to the idea of of thinking you might get it and then you don't, and then uh, and now you are. What has the last <laughs> year been like emotionally for you? Yeah, a lot of ups and downs. Um, you know, I don't think it's wise to really listen too much to the general public, but <laughs> there, was, there was four, the four of us uh, put our name in the hats for the Ryder Cup captaincy, you know, myself, Paul Laurie, uh, Rob Carlson and, and Henrik. And, you know, I heard a lot of rumors that, you know, I was, I was tipped to, to be the next captain, but, um, you know, in the end uh, they, they went with Henrik and uh, we all know what happened. Um, and I had an opportunity, uh, a second opportunity. And I think, you know, successful people always take those opportunities when they come. So I'm, you know, extremely happy that uh, I have it. Um, not certainly no egos involved in how it happened. I I'm, uh, see it as a privilege, see it as a great honor. Uh, I'm taking it very seriously. It's The Ryder Cup has been so great to me over the years and uh certainly a little bit earlier in my career that I thought I'd be a Ryder Cup captain but you know I'm uh I'm really taking full advantage of it and trying to enjoy this journey enjoy um um yeah what what's happening every day I said it's it's busy there's something going on every day but uh 
no, I'm, uh, I feel very privileged to be in this role. You know, Luke, you, you've got, I, I know you'll surround yourself with, with great people. Most importantly, you want a great team. But the, but, but the predicted and inevitable assets that were going to be part of, of, of European Ryder Cup going forward, whether it's vice captains, captains, may or may not be there. Uh, and I'm talking about all your contemporaries. Do you see a way that any of those guys can be a part of this thing? And you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, it, it's hard to give you an answer because I, I can't see into the future. We obviously yep. have a, a legal situation uh, pending in, in February, uh, and that could, uh, you know, play a, a big role in, in what happens. So, um, you know, I haven't tried to give it too much um, thought, too much energy, because again, it's something I can't control. It's like who who are you going to pick in eight months? Well, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to play. But I'm, I'm keeping in a very open mind, you know. Um, I'm certainly not uh, blocking off anything, any possibilities. So uh, you have to you have to ask me that question uh, a little bit more down the road. Yeah, I, I and again, and that's totally fair. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I did say this a couple of months ago. I just, you know, look, there, there's some there's some some real depth to these relationships, personally and professionally, that exists on both sides, but particularly on on your side. It is going to be interesting to see how how it all plays out. You asked about these guys like, you don't. I, I love the fact that the meter's running and I love the fact that this conversation is constant and and continuous for us. How realistically, how many guys do you have a big board? Do you have a do you have a board of players that are on your radar, so to speak? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I think. Uh, I mean, you can you can get a little bit of an idea from from this Hero Cup that's coming up. Um, you know, I think these are some of the. Uh, first of all, this is a great opportunity again to get some some younger guys into that team room, uh, playing right uh, to kind of match play, playing um, together, uh, just seeing how they bond together. Um, you know, this is going to be a, an important step to to bring back a, a match play event like the Hero Cup. Uh, to the European schedule. Um, there's some great young players. Um, I think uh, there's a, you know, I, I'm very excited about some of the core players that have already started playing well again. Uh, but there's a, a new generation of players that are hungry to make that Ryder Cup. And, uh, you know, you mentioned it a little bit earlier about the US team. They, they've certainly had a shift uh, yeah. where they've gone with some younger players with less scar tissue um guys that seem to get along very well and you know and i think uh europe potentially is starting to go through a, a similar shift you know a lot of the the guys that have been stalwarts you know are coming towards the end of their career uh, i don't i'm not saying they don't have opportunities to make further rider cups but you know it's becoming less and less likely so we need some of these young guys to step up uh, and fill some of those holes and um you know that's why i'm i'm, I'm excited to to go to abu dhabi in, in a, a month or so and, and see how these guys perform you were there in 2010 for rory's first Ryder cup and he expressed you know kind of some ambivalence about it and then he <laughs> then he had the week and he's like i was wrong and one of the things i appreciate about him about many things i appreciate is that i i think that great opinions are opinions that evolve and and he's done that repeatedly throughout his career to now you go, you go back to whistling straights and him sobbing after Sunday and not feeling like he can had contributed enough after he won his singles point. 
He is a generational player in terms of what he does in the game. He's a generational player with respect to your side. Is he the bona fide leader of your team as a player? You know, I really want to, I really want Rory to lead by winning uh, every point he plays. <laughs> That's how I want him to lead. Um, but he is a leader. We've, we've seen that, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, how things have progressed in the last year or so. But, you know, I think, you know, Rory um, sometimes tries to take on too much, you know, and I think, uh, you know, obviously as captain, you know, that's my role is to, to try and get the most out of him. So I'll be looking to, to, to get Rory back in winning ways in a Ryder Cup. You know, he obviously cares about it. We saw that. He, it means a lot to him. Um, but, you know, he, he'd be the first to say that he was disappointed the way he's played. Um, you know, he even didn't, you know, he played okay in, in, in 18, won a few points, but for his standard, you know, I don't think he's played up to what he would consider, you know, his good golf and, and winning as many points as he should. So, you know, again, one of, one of my things uh, that I'm thinking about is, you know, how we can get the most out of Rory. The, uh, the American side just, you know, look, Spieth and Thomas played the other night. Cantley and, and, and Shoffley, Scheffler and maybe Sam Burns, and then Morikawa and Cam Young and Will Zalatoris was injured. Uh, there, mm. is, there is, these guys have the ability to play a lot of sessions. They're, they also have some built-in partnerships that, that you know, the United States have been, has been looking for for a long time among their top players. And the other thing they have, Luke, is, and you know Seth Waugh well, there's an intellectual investment that, that the PGA of America has allowed to these players. They feel like they're, they, they've got real skin in the game. Like you're fighting, you're fighting a side that feels like they have turned a corner. And you pointed out another thing, an absence of scar tissue, more success than failure. Um, you're dealing with a, with a formidable side. May, I think more formidable than maybe you've had to deal with and through the Tiger and Phil thing, which was an odd dynamic, than maybe you've ever had. Is that fair? I think it's uh, absolutely fair. I think our, our work uh, as a European team is very <laughs> cut out. I think uh, the U.S. are going to be extremely strong. As you said, there's a lot of young, hungry players that seem to get along well. They've, they already started to form good partnerships. We saw that at the Presence Cup. We saw it last year, Whistling Straits. Even just watching the match the other day, I mean, Spieth and, and Justin, they get along well. They interact well, you know, and I think that's, that is part of a, a good, successful partnership is, is kind of having each other's backs. And, and those two seem to, <laughs> seem to get along extremely well. So... <laughs> You know, add that to, to great golf. I mean, these guys, I think the average world ranking at, at the President's Cup was 11. I mean, that's that's unfathomable. They're, they are top, top players. And, um, you know, certainly our, our work is cut out. It doesn't mean I, I don't think we have a chance. I think we have a good chance. We have some great players ourselves. We're on home soil. Uh, I think that's, that's big. Um, we certainly had some disadvantages uh, whistling straights, you know, um, in COVID, unfortunately, we weren't able to get many um, fans over from the, from from the UK, from Europe, to support us. Yep, it felt a little bit dead. Uh, the energy wasn't quite there, but uh, you know, the energy will will bring the energy in Rome. And uh, as always, it will be an, an amazing uh, exhibition, amazing experience, and the, uh, the Ryder Cup will, will win. It it will it will, and I I agree with you. The the home field thing. Look, this is huge. This is. The Americans Rubicon to try to cross 
uh, being 30 years removed from the last time, and you know it, they know it, I think it's one of the great dynamics in sports. Do you have a coach or a manager that you've either, either reached out in sports somewhere in the world that you've appealed to from, a, from a, a principle standpoint, the application of coaching techniques or team building that, that you have, that you're curious about. Is there any coach or, or manager in any sport anywhere in the world that, that you'd like to engage to, to talk about team building? Uh, that is part of the process and um, certainly on my radar to, to visit some other sports teams and just see how they interact and do that. Um, I've certainly got a great team behind me we brought on a, a few people. I'm not going to name names, but uh, we've got a great team behind us um, that, that's helping, you know, with with building that culture and and also seeing, um, you know, how other great teams do it. Um, I, I've started reading a lot more books on leadership and um, team building and all that kind of stuff too. I think that's important. You know, as I said, as a as a as a captain, you know, that's my main role is to try and figure out how to bring the best out of my 12 guys and. And create an environment that where they can succeed. Uh, there, I don't know if you've read the book Legacy uh, about the All Blacks. That's a great this book. One? Yeah, that book. Yes. Well done. I, that was not prompted. That's that's not a prop. Uh, that's that's. It's not. That's, no, I've got a few of my books out. <laughs> there you out go. Here in, the, in my office. I, I no, got, I think uh, it is a great one. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I, I like to underline and um, highlight so hi highlight things. It's like, I feel like half the book is 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 yellow highlighter in that one. It's, there's a lot of good stuff in it. I, I, I did it, I've done it a lot just to impress my wife, like if she ever opened it, wow, you really dug into this book. Uh, <laughs> and it's like stuff that is totally frivolous that I've highlighted. That is a very good one. Let me ask you a couple other things before I let you go. I, I There's a trophy over your left shoulder uh, that that I I was not prompted by seeing it. I, I, it's one of in my time covering professional golf that week. Considering all the things that were on the line, that's this the one? Disney Trophy. Yeah, Mickey. From, yeah, yeah, from 2011. The the dynamics of that particular week. Webb Simpson had played well at Sea Island, and all of a sudden it was like back on you. Like, were you going to play? You play. And you had one thing. You, the only thing that would result in what you wanted was you had to win the golf tournament. And that was the money title and likely the player of the year. And I'll be a son of a bitch if you don't shoot 64 on Sunday. And I was like, okay, that, that's impressive. And I did an event with Webb Simpson the next week, and he honestly shook his head like he was pissed at you, but he was also so respectful of what you had done. Like, I can't believe he you know, made six birdies on the back. And um, what about that particular week are you particularly proud of? Yeah. Well, I was pissed at Webb for playing so well the week before <laughs> yes. and making me go go play. Yes, I thought I had it. I thought I had it, uh, you know, locked up. And then, uh, you know, he he got ahead of me, and uh, so it was like, well, game on. Let's let's go. Let's see who can who can uh, win. And you know, the the funny thing about that was we were paired the first two days. I'm sure that wasn't by a coincidence. No, but we tied after the first two days. We were paired the third day. We tied after three days. We were paired fourth day. You know, it was just like this one-on-one -on -one shootout. It was like, who cared about anyone else in the tournament? It was who could win the money list. Um, and to be honest, I, I'd actually been struggling again with my health. I, I'd had a lot of sinus issues throughout my career and a really bad one that week. And I remember, you know, not practicing much. I was playing the tournament, going straight to my bed, laying in bed for a few hours, just trying to get my energy back. 
Um, but Sunday again, I started feeling a little bit better. Um, uh, my golf wasn't great, but it was it was good enough. I had a lot of heart and desire to to try and win that week, and um, yeah, all, all kicked off on the back nine. I, I hold a I hit, hit it pretty close on ten, made a birdie, and then made another one on eleven, and hold a good part on twelve. And I just kept going, going and going. I finally made six in a row. I hold a, a massive putt, like a 50-footer on the 15th hole. Yep. And by that time, I think I'd worn down uh, Webb. I got two or three ahead of him and uh, was able to cruise to victory. And, uh, yeah, that was just very cool for me to, to win that. And then I think I went a few weeks later to Dubai and I won the, the, the money, money title, yep. the race to Dubai in Europe. And, and you know, being the first person to ever officially do that i think tiger would have done it a few times if he'd, he was a member of the european tour but you know to, to do it officially the first time 2011 that was my uh, i always say 11 is my favorite number because of that you know 2011 everything was going right got to number one in the world i won four times i won a i won a match play um Varden you know, trophy. won the bmw won the bmw trophy yeah bmw pga yep. Uh, yeah, uh, the Arnold Palmer for player of the year won, you know, uh, the McCormick, uh, Mark McCormick yep. trophy for most weeks at number one for a year. You know, it's just, I mean, a dream come true for someone that, you know, was, was a good player, but never really would have been touted to do that. And, uh, um, yeah, that, that was my year. It was, uh, last couple things, um, your, one of your great skills is the closer you get to the hole, the greater your advantage over your competition. Um, do you think that putting, short game, bunker play is, is of the same value that it was 20 years ago in the professional game? Well, potentially not. I think uh, hitting the ball far gives you a, a better advantage these days. But again, I'm a good proof that you have to be what you are. Um, you know, in 2008, I tried to hit the ball a little bit further, had a, a wrist, uh, broke my wrist. I mean, I, I split my wrist, I had to get surgery. And from that moment on, I just went back to, okay, what can I be good at? What am I, what are my skill set, and how do I be the best at that? And, and that was, I started I, from, from coming back from the surgery. I had to start with, with short putts. And then I got further away from the hole. Then I started with short pitches and chips and got further away from the hole and I just built up uh you know my game from the hole backwards and um you know again I would love to hit the ball further I think it would give me a, a better opportunity to be successful these days but you know that's not your game that's not my DNA so you know anyone listening out there if you you start in the game at a young age yeah by all means try and hit the ball far but if you're already in a place where that's not your game, then don't, don't try and don't try and change, change that. Just be you. All right. Five quick questions to get you out of here. What's the best Chicago sports experience? Blackhawks Stanley cup final. Very good. All right. Cup, that, Cups is pretty close. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going Stanley. Cup. I just love ice hockey live. Yeah. A, a hockey game in person. Hockey is challenging on television. Uh, yeah, because to pick it. up the puck, but but in person, the skill, the speed, it's it's an amazing it's in person quite short experience. Too, and yes, you know it's it's constantly going, and that's what I love too. Okay, the the player with the best understanding of the golf swing that you know, an elite player, 
who has a great understanding of the golf swing, who is it? Has to be Tiger for me. I just think he he went in depth to to, to everything. Just seems like uh, you ask him a question and he, he's he he knows exactly what he's talking about. The uh, the American custom that you most identify with. <laughs> I, would say, I was going to say Thanksgiving, but that was like you know. that's good. Yeah, it's kind of a, like a, a hit on on the UK, isn't it? <laughs> Not really. Doesn't have to Not be a really, slight of another culture just because America's got Thanksgiving. What's the best pro shop in golf? Like the best swag Ooh. pro shop combination logo, gear. Wow. I, I mean, I, I have to go now. It's one one I'm a member of the Grove. They sell so much stuff. They have all the Jordan <laughs> stuff. They, uh, I'm uh, biased with the Grace and stuff, but. You know, um, they have some really fun stuff in there because there's not really any dress rules. You can wear T-shirts if you want. And yeah. they have these cool Grayson T-shirts and Peter Millar. I don't know. They have it. They have it all. I yeah. think they, they might they might they might be pretty up there for for gross sales in, in a year. Yeah, I, I think I, I would imagine I've not been to the Grove. You were just recently at a That's a good shop. Great. Todd, shop. Todd does a great job there. It's a great logo. Um, yeah, there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. All right. Last thing. Um, the, the best shot you've ever seen in person. It might actually be Rory in a Ryder Cup at 2018 as a vice captain. You remember when he was on the side of the hill on the 12th hole, I think it was the 13th hole. I no, what was he it was a, on the side of the rough. I mean, his ball was two feet below his hole and he's hit, having to hit a, a nine iron over a, a pond. And I mean, that's just one that comes to, to mind, but yeah, I mean, just ridiculous skill, strength, uh, and to be able to stop it. And then he made, then they made the part as well. So was that, a, was, was that a, his singles match against Justin Thomas or was that a, no, he was playing, I think foursomes with, with the Polter. Okay. I, I don't Impulter recall it. I'm going to go, I'm going to go and try to YouTube it. Uh, listen, I, I know that your, your time, you got a lot on your plate. It's the holidays. Um, I wish you and Diane and the girls a, a great holiday season. Thank you for doing Thanks, this. I look forward to seeing you in the new year. I'll see you then. Yeah, have a good uh, 23. I hope, hope mine's a, a good one, a winning one. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks, Gary. Really appreciate Luke Donald for taking the time. Uh, he's got an interesting challenge uh, because he doesn't want to be the guy who loses the first home game since 1993. And he's going through a period where they were transitioning no matter what, even if Sergio was eligible and Poulter was eligible and Westwood and Paul Casey, like, were they still going to be on the side anyway? But they're not going to necessarily even be there. That to me is one of the biggest stories going into 23. What inclusion, if any, will any of those guys on the European side who've been studs for two decades have for Luke Donald as players or vice captains. Appreciate his time. Most importantly, appreciate your time in listening to this Five Clubs conversation. <laughs>